Alright, thank you Brother Terry. I think the way this thing works is that when he calls me, he wants to know what I'm preaching. He's going to sing what he's wanting to sing. If he, he'll, he'll get something out of that sermon in that song anyway. You know, I was standing in line at McDonald's the other day and uh, spoke to this guy that came up behind me and and so he said, I believe, I believe I recognize you. And we got to talking. And he was a very faithful uh, a person who, who watched our program uh, every Monday night on, on the local uh, TV station there in Russell. And let me just say this. I appreciate, and I told him this. I said, I really appreciate you watching our program. And uh, he had a lot of things to say, good things to say about our program. And I want to thank all of those that watch our program on Monday night. It, it's, it's a ministry to a lot of people. It's rewarding to us uh, to be able to do this. And so to make, that, to make this service available on Monday night there on the local TV station in Rossville. And so I appreciate all of those who, who call me, who come up to me and tell me how much they appreciate our program. And I just wanted you to know that as a church that a lot of people are affected by, by our worship service that's shown on Monday night there on TV. So I just wanted to mention that to you. Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We want to continue a series of sermons uh, on the book of Philippians. I started a few weeks back. <clears throat> this morning I, I entitled this sermon, Running After Sanctification Things. Running After Sanctification Things. And the sermon will make that title will come out a little more clear perhaps as we go on. But as I mentioned for the past few weeks, we've, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. It's a book that focuses on uh, two major words in the book, one being joy, the other being mind. So in essence, Paul writes this book, and the essence of the book instructs us how to have a joyful, peaceful mind as a Christian. Now, in order for that to work, there are certain things that the devil tempts us with and hopes to rob us of our joy. Uh, who hopes to rob us of our joyful, peaceful mind. And, we've, and so he mentions those things, in each, one thing in each chapter, that the devil uses to rob us of our joyful, peaceful mind. He said, first of all, chapter 1, the devil uses circumstances. Chapter 2, he uses people. Chapter 3, he uses things. Chapter 4, he uses worry. Those things will rob us of a joyful Christian mind. And so the book shares with us how we can have victory over our circumstances, chapter 1. How we can have victory over those circumstances. Most of us enjoy life and when the good times are, are, are coming to us, but then there are times when difficult times come and difficult circumstances uh, come to us. We're faced with difficult circumstances. And so in order to have victory over those circumstances that otherwise would rob us of our joyful, peaceful mind, we discovered in chapter 1 that we have to focus on the exaltation 
exaltation of Jesus and also the extending of the gospel. So when those things happen to us that are not pleasant, if we'll continue to focus on Jesus and to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll find we'll have victory over our circumstances. Chapter 2, Paul mentioned that at times people will rob us of a joyful, peaceful mind. And so in order to have victory over people that would rob us, then we have to have a submissive mind. And we found that Christ had a submissive mind. Paul had a submissive mind. Uh, Timothy uh, had a submissive mind. And so now, we're to, uh, last week, we looked at things. And when he talked about things, he, he mentioned material things that would rob us of a joyful, peaceful mind. And so to have victory over these material things in the world that would rob us of a joyful, peaceful mind, we talked last week about having a, our mind focused on salvation things. And he, Paul painted a word picture. And used, uh, in chapter 3, paints a word picture. And the first word picture was that of a bookkeeper. And he says, uh, Paul says that we, in order to have uh, victory over the material things, we need to think about salvation things. And so he paints this image of a bookkeeper and says we must figure out salvation things there in verses 1 through 8. And Paul, if you remember, he displayed a column there, he, his things that profited him. He's using uh, bookkeeping terms. He, I count these things, uh, but loss, those are bookkeeping terms. And so he had a, a credit column there where he listed all the things he had credited to himself in order to be right with God. He, he talked about his, uh, his background. He talked about his rituals. He talked about his zeal. He talked about his heritage. He he talked about his race. He talked about his his tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a very cultured tribe. Then Paul figured out that all of those things were nothing but garbage when it came to salvation. There in verse 8 he said, I count all this but loss. This is nothing but dung to me. This is nothing but garbage to me. And so he says in the prophet column, all I have is Jesus Christ. In, in his prophet column, he had nothing but Jesus Christ. And so to have victory over material things, you must figure out, be a bookkeeper, figure out salvation things. You'll have victory over the material things. And then... Today, Paul moves to a second word picture. This is found in Philippians 3, verses 10 and following. And he continues to paint these word pictures, of how to have victory over material things. Look, if you will, at verse 10. He says that I may know him. Now, this is a... He moves to this second picture as he continues to paint these word pictures of three tenses of salvation. We talked about salvation. Today we're going to look at, and last week, or today we're going to look at sanctification and then we'll look at glorification. The three tenses of salvation. Paul's saying, uh, look at verse 10, if you will, chapter 3. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made comfortable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul begins and he's saying literally, you know, I met Jesus. I came to know him as my Savior on the road to Damascus and now my the desire of my life is that I will, that I will be able to know Jesus better. Every day I'm praying that I'll know Jesus better. 
Now, when you first meet someone, you don't know everything there is to know about that person. Amen? Amen. I remember when I met Judy. It was his love at first sight. My part. <laughs> My, me. Qualify that. Stop rubbing her on the arm, Brenda. <laughs> it was love at first sight on my part. But I didn't know everything uh, about Judy. She didn't know everything about me. When Terry met Martha, she didn't know everything about Terry. She knew enough. <laughs> she knew enough. She, she didn't know that he snored in seven foreign languages, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Did y'all know that? <laughs> seven foreign languages. He can snore in seven foreign languages. She didn't know all that. You know, every day we're getting to know our mate better. Amen. 42 years, Judy's getting to know me better. I'm getting to know her better. We, you know, we know each other a lot, but every day we get to know each other better. Now, I was 11 years old when I first come to know Christ. I met, I met Christ when I was 11 years old. And over the years, I've gotten to know Him better. Amen. And today, in front of you, in front of God, I want to recommit myself to God to get to know Him better and better and better and better each day that I live. Amen. You know, I saw there was a song we used to sing and... and uh, uh, it, I was reminded of it when I was studying this passage of Scripture. The more that I trust Him, the more I love Him. Nothing good for me He'll deny. The longer I know Him, the better I can show Him. I couldn't stop now if I tried. It gets sweeter as the days go by. It gets sweeter as the moments fly. His love is richer, deeper, fuller, sweeter, 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 sweeter as the days go by. Oh, the moment He saved me, His good grace He gave me, He placed His love deep down in my heart. There's great joy in knowing with Him I am going and never more from Him to depart. It gets sweeter. Sweeter as the moments fly. His love is richer, deeper, fuller, sweeter, 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 sweeter as the days go by. Is that the way you feel about the Lord Jesus? Is it getting sweeter as the days go by? Is it sweeter? The number one desire in our life today should be to be, to be able to know Jesus more and more and more today than we did yesterday. Now, that's what sanctification is all about. Now, for whatever reason, Baptists today are stuck in between salvation and glorification. <laughs> when it comes to sanctification... Now, somebody said, well, what is sanctification? Here's sanctification. The easiest definition. One of the best I've ever heard. The definition of sanctification. The progressive growth in righteousness. Amen. The progressive growth in righteousness. When God saved you, his intention for you was to become like His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When He saved you, He didn't save you just to make you happy or to make me happy. He saved us in order for us to become like His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to be like Christ. 
Meaning this, He wants us to mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Has your relationship with Christ matured since the time you were saved? Let me tell you what's sad. What's sad is someone that's been a Christian for 30 and 40 and 50 or 60 years and is no more matured in the Lord than those that are in Judy's preschool class. That is sad. That's not God's intent for our heart. And so Paul now points a, he points a picture of a runner who is following after sanctification things. Look, if you will, at verse 12, chapter 3. Verse 12. Now, as though I had already attained, either were all, are already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, as you read verse 12, he's saying, I haven't already attained, and I'm not perfect. Notice that, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But then you go down to verse 15. Look at verse 15. He says, let us therefore as many be perfect. So as you look at verse 12, he, uses, he says, I'm not perfect. And then he talks about those of us who are perfect. It sounds like a contradiction there. But in verse 12, he's talking about a different kind of perfection. In verse 12, he's talking about absolute perfection. I haven't attained absolute perfection. But in verse 15, he's talking about perfection in the terms of maturity. Becoming more like Christ. Growing in your faith. Now, oftentimes when you have a relay race, maybe you run a 440 or something like that, uh, you know, 40 yards four times, and, and you come around and the coach has a, he has a clock in his hand, a, a stopwatch, and, and as you come by, he'll, first lap, he'll say, that's a perfect lap. And then the second lap, he'll say, that, that's a perfect lap. That doesn't mean you're doing everything right. He's saying, listen, that's, that's a perfect rep. It's, it's on pace. It's, it's on time. It's exactly where we want to be. Are you exactly where you want to be in your relationship with Christ? Are you perfect? Are you on time? Are you on schedule? Are you where you want to be with Christ before He calls you home? Paul said, I'm not perfect. When you speak of perfection, I'm not absolute perfect in perfection, but he's talking about in terms of his maturity. You ever notice uh, maybe a little four-year-old boy running around, you know, and, and, you're, and you say something like this. He, he, he's, acting, he, he's acting exactly like a four-year-old. He's, he's a perfect four-year-old. You're kidding me. He's not perfect, perfect. Or a little girl running around. That's just a that's a perfect three-year-old. They're not perfect, but they're everything that a three-year-old or a four-year-old should be at that time. Are you what you should be right now with God at this time? Are you running after sanctification? Is God's Word important to you? Do you want to follow after Him? <clears throat> Are you running after Him? We'll get into that a little uh, in a few minutes. Paul is saying we need to be exactly where we need to be in every stage of our spiritual development. We need to be there. Are you on pace? 
in your Bible study? Are you on pace? I was talking to someone the other day and they were discouraged because we have a great crowd on Sunday morning and we have less than half this crowd on Sunday night. They were discouraged and they don't understand it but I understand it and you understand it now. Are you where God wants you to be? In your spiritual race. Are you there? He compares this to a race, to a runner. And we have evidence in the New Testament that, that Paul was a sports fan. He, he had a knowledge of, of athletic events. So he, he pictures all, in all of this a runner. And notice what he begins in verse 12. He says he follows after. You see, sanctification is a following after. Amen. Following after. Paul has said, I'm trying to lay hold. Listen, I'm trying to lay hold of why Jesus laid hold on me. Why Jesus save you? Amen. Have you laid hold on that yet? For what purpose? For what reason? That Jesus looked down from heaven, His Holy Spirit convicted you that you were a sinner and you needed salvation and God laid hold on you, has a purpose for your life, meaning to your life, and it's not just to make you happy. Have you laid hold on why He has laid hold on you? He says, I follow after. Christ put me in this race. And I want to be everything that He put me in the race to be. That's right. Is that how you feel? Are you in the race? Are you trying to be everything that Christ wants you to be? Have you laid hold on why He laid hold on you? This morning, first of all, answer the question, have I started the race? Am I in the race? Are you in the race? Are you saved? Well, yes, I'm saved, Brother Samuel. Well, how are you coming in regards to sanctification? How are you coming and being more like Christ? i tell you where Christ was in His prayer life. You know, don't you? I don't have to tell you. I know where Christ was when it, when it came to going to worship, going to the temple. I know where Christ was in, in, in meeting people's needs. Are you where Christ wants you to be? Are you becoming more like Him? You say, well, I'm saved, Brother Sammy. That's good, but, but are you, how are you coming on the sanctification? Are you, how are you doing in the race? That's the big question. Do you, do you want to be everything that God saved you to be? That's Paul's desire. Now, I, I don't want to be no average Christian. Lord, please... I pray, may it never be said of me that I'm an average Christian. Because an average Christian attends church less than three times a month. 
An average Christian will give around 2% of their income in order that the Lord's work might continue. The average Christian never shares the gospel. The average Christian very seldom picks up a Bible or spends any time in prayer. I don't want to be no average Christian. That's what average Christian is right now. And my desire in my life is I don't want to be an average Christian. And my prayer for you is that you don't want to be an average Christian. I want to be a growing, developing, maturing, victorious Christian. I want to have apprehended when it's all over with. First, he started the race. Secondly, he's running the race. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. So he's running the race. I have, I've not arrived yet. Did you know that some church members think they have arrived? Check it out on Sunday night or Wednesday night or Sunday school. Why do people fail to attend those services? One reason is they think they have arrived and they can't be taught anything. Am I wrong in that? No, I'm not wrong. Offer some discipleship course. We just completed, Kyle just completed teaching the Baptist faith and message. Go up to somebody and say, you believe in eternal salvation? Yeah, I do. Tell me why you believe that. See what they tell you. The majority of them won't be able to tell you anything. But they won't attend any Sunday night discipleship courses or Tuesday night or Thursday night, any special courses. You know why? They think they've arrived. We have, you know, in our old church building, we had a pew out there that just filled up on Sunday morning during Sunday school. I often wanted to start a pew class in the foyer. Now, why weren't they not in Sunday school? They didn't need it. They had arrived. Well, you're doing better than Paul. He said, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm running the race. He's doing the things he feels like God wanted him to do. Have you arrived? I'm not going to embarrass you by asking a show of hands. But if we were all truthful, we'd have to sit on our hands. Amen. Don't think for one moment that we have arrived. Are you where God needs you to be? Is that, are you where he, His desire for you to be? Well, some think they've arrived. They couldn't tell you how to... Sh they couldn't share the gospel with somebody if you'd held a gun to their head. But they won't enroll in nothing to learn how to present Christ to someone. Ask them to name the gospels. 
perhaps they might could guess pretty easy. Ask them about the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. I mean, but they think they've arrived. Look at verse 13. He said, I'm running the race. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, one thing. Have you ever noticed the one things in the Bible? The rich young ruler came to Jesus. and He done all the rules, did all the rituals. Jesus said, this one thing thou lackest. One thing. Amen. One thing. So you have, the, you have the rich young ruler. One thing thou lackest. Now, is Jesus saying that to you today? Perhaps you're doing all the rules, you've done all the right stuff, you went through all the rituals, but one thing thou lackest. I mean, is he saying you have a great personality and, my goodness, you've got a great education, you've got a good job, you manage your finances, you take care of your money, you make the right investments, you've got, you're handsome or you're attractive, but there's, there's this one thing thou lackest. You had the rich young ruler, one thing. You had, you had Mary and Martha. Jesus came to their house. And Jesus said this to Martha. He said, Martha, you're troubled about many things. One thing is needful. That's the common set at the feet of Jesus. Hear what I got to say. One thing. Remember the man born blind? They asked him, do you think this is the Son of God? He said, I don't know about him being the Son of God, but there's one thing I know. I once was blind, but now I see. One thing. Just one thing. Paul says this, one thing I do. One thing, concentrate. Concentrate. Concentrate on the present. You know, in athletics, it's called being focused. Some refer to it, uh, I found recently, as being in a zone. Michael Jordan was unstoppable when he was in the zone. Tiger Woods, in the zone. Staying focused. Runners, beating time, forgetting about everything else, concentrating, staying focused. You get in a zone. There is, there is a value in concentration. Thinking. A place kicker walks on the field, deciding the game. And all of a sudden, the clock ticks down, and the coach t- calls timeout. Why does he do that? He asks that kicker. Take his mind off of kicking that, put his mind on something else. So kicking that, that winning field goal or that extra point. Concentration. You know the difference between a professional and an amateur? A, a, an amateur pursues his ability in spurts. I'm, uh, I'm an amateur cyclist, bicyclist. Last spurt I had was about two years ago. <laughs> Don't laugh, Joel. That's amateur. But a professional is someone who makes it his total life. That's a professional. So you and I, put it in perspective, as children of God, ought to concentrate on being all that Christ has saved us to be every day of our life. 
We're not to be amateurs in Christianity, my friend. Look at verse 13. He said, this one thing I do, total, total concentration. Secondly, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. All who, who are willingly involved in running a race, all of them, all those who will run will tell you that you can't win a race looking back. You can't do it. You can't look back and expect to win a race. And, and with that in mind, there are some of you today who would be living a victorious Christian life if you'd stop looking back <coughs> at past sins, past failures, past victories, past successes, should say. We learn to forget now, what does it mean to forget? Well, it doesn't mean you have amnesia type forget. But it simply means that you no longer allow the past to control you. Amen. You move forward. You go on. Stay concentrated. Concentrate. Then notice, and I'm closing with this. Forget the things behind. Reach forth. Just think, he said, look at verse, brethren, verse 13. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. His eyes, he's reaching forward. Imagine him coming to the finish line. His eyes are focused. His muscles are tight. They're tense. His feet are pounding the pavement. His heart is pounding inside his chest. His nerves are just stretched. He's straining every muscle that he has. He's reaching forth. He's giving it all that he can give. <coughs> and Paul says that's exactly the way we need to live our Christian life. Amen. Are you giving it all you can give in Bible study? Are you giving all you can give and, and just Christian disciplines that I've mentioned time and time during this sermon? Are you just reaching forth, straining, for a back of, uh, lack of a better word, straining your gut to be the Christian that God wants you to be? That's sanctification. That's growing in Christ. That's being all in all that He wants you to be. He's reaching forth. The point is, this is how we should be reading the Word of God and praying and, and witnessing, giving our full energy and our full self completely to Jesus Christ. And then fourth, and I'll close. Something else he did. He completed the race. Winning the race, verse 14. Notice what he said. He says, and I press toward the mark. Mark is the finish line. Ever seen a finish line? Everybody been to a race and everybody gathers around the finish line. Something terrible happened in Boston recently around the finish line. You go to races and there's the finish line. And I've never really crossed one of those finish lines in a race. I've gone up and looked at them. <laughs> but I can imagine for the runner just to keep focused on that finish line and what it's like just to count down the seconds and see the clock. And as you, as you go forth, you strive and you reach forth and you press toward the mark, that finish line. But something else involved at the finish line. Not only do you press toward the mark, second thing you do, you reach for the prize. 
reach for the prize. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Man, those Colosseums would be filled. Old Paul hang out there at the Colosseums, you know, and they'd be filled with people. And, and old Paul would be come. He'd watch them come down the finish line, and all of a sudden they'd have one runner that'd win, and the and the and the people would just stand up and just give an ovation and just a round of applause, and they would begin to applaud and cheer, and they would call that runner up to the uh, to to the booth where the emperor would be, and then he would place a crown. On that person's head. One person could win. That's what's kind of neat in the Christian life. It's not just one winner. All of us can be. All of us can be. Only in the race, pause time, one could win, but in the Christian life, all can win. You say, what does all this mean, Brother Sammy? First, we're, we're to be like a bookkeeper figuring out salvation things. And then we're to be like a runner following after sanctification things. Start the race. Run the race. Have total concentration. Forget the past. Reach and forth. Keep your eyes on the mark. And don't forget to pick up the medal. Sanctification things. Let's bow our heads for prayer.